The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio. The answer on this beautiful Saturday February 15, the day after Valentine's Day. Hopefully you had a very good Valentine's. I certainly did. Um, today our show, my friends, is uh, going to be dedicated to our folks in law enforcement. Uh, it, we, have, we are seeing, my friends, definitely a, a very much a war on law and order. Not just on the police. I mean, the police are taking the front lines, are taking the the brunt of it. So are the Border Patrol, you know, this whole movement of trying to get rid of ICE. Well, you know, it's it's nothing less than a war on law enforcement, on law and order. And that's because the leftists, not just the liberals, the liberals are insane because they want everybody just to get along without, uh, you know, understanding that human nature is human nature. But uh, the leftists want to undermine our whole justice system. And what they are doing literally is with this, whole, with, with this idea of, of justice for all, equality for all. They've taken those principles and they have uh, just turned them upside down. And now it, it, it appears that criminals, that uh, wrongdoers have greater rights and greater privileges than the people who are supposed to enforce the law, or worse yet, than the people who obey the law. You know, there is a special, uh, a, a, a special rights for people who break the law. Take example, take example, the people that, that cross the border illegally. They are treated much better than the people who enter the country legally, than people who immigrate following the proper prop- process. And, uh, you know, all that does, my friends, is it encourages law-breaking. You have the same thing of uh, decriminalization of uh, vagrancy in various communities, including here in San Antonio. And all that does, my friends, is it encourages more vagrancy. So I wanted to dedicate today's show more to, to our folks in law enforcement so that they, can, they have an opportunity to tell their story because... They are viewed by the national media, by the, by the mainstream media, as the bad guys. First of all, we've got uh, my very, very good friend, and I'm, glad to, I'm very proud to say that I, I really admire and, and consider this man a friend of mine now, uh, Mr. Tom Homan, who used to be the, um, the, the ICE director. He's the former ICE director, and he's going to talk to us about the dangers of sanctuary cities. I mean, he's been talking a lot about this this situation on Fox News. Well, I wanted to give him a little bit more time to uh, to chat w- about this issue. I've also got Mr. John J. Wiley, Wiley rather. John J. Wiley uh, is a podcaster, a fellow broadcaster. Uh, he has a show in Baltimore called Law Enforcement Today. And I wanted to reach out to him and have him talk to us about the whole issue of the war on police. In Baltimore, we've seen it firsthand as the police were were pulled back at the height of a riot. They were told to back down because uh, they didn't they didn't want to provoke the rioters. The uh, local politicians didn't want to provoke the rioters with the presence of police. Picture that, okay? Understand that people are breaking the law, and the people who are who who are charged with maintaining law and order, with stopping criminals, they are pulled back because the politicians don't want to provoke the lawbreakers picture that i mean uh, uh, try to wrap your head around that that idea then finally we've got mr rogelio nevarez rogelio is the president of the laredo police police officers association in laredo texas of course and he's going to relate this story uh this recent situation where a cop shooter a guy who shot two cops in laredo texas has been set free on bail. And he's going to talk to us because this situation, my friends, of the disrespect 
of the violence against police officers is not going on just in in big major cities with politicians uh, in in those with liberal politicians in those communities. This is going on in many in uh, in, in Texas. It, it it is a a tragic situation, my friends, that we've got. We have situations where the very lives of our law enforcement are are um, are, are uh, uh, in danger. Not to mention the community itself is in danger. When you don't punish bad behavior, my good friends, what do you get? You get more bad behavior. So we're going to hear from Rogelio Narvaez and uh, Navarez, Nevarez, rather, excuse me, from Rogelio, uh, and he is going to tell us exactly, you know, the perspective of the law enforcement folks, the police officers in a small, medium-sized community. I mean, this is not urban Detroit or New York. This is Laredo, our own backyard. So let me give you some quick um, uh, updates on news items because... um, you know, this situation of decriminalization is going all over, going over place. I mentioned the whole idea of uh, the lack of respect and the lack of cooperation with, uh, with the with the, uh, ICE, for example, uh, and uh, the decriminalization of uh, of all sorts of acts, uh, so that the police departments, uh, the police officers, are now handcuffed themselves as to be able, what to do. Um, for example, in uh, in uh, Iowa. Uh, the law enforcement agencies in Iowa are being required uh, uh, to uh, collect data on crimes committed by um, illegal immigrants uh, in a bill, uh, and so that that way people can can determine if uh, you know these citizens uh, are both lawful and lawfully uh, lawfully in the United States as well as whether or not they are uh, behaving. Uh, well, would you believe that there is an uproar against that? A complete and total uproar. Then, of course, you've got the situation in New York where Governor Cuomo uh, and uh, President Trump last uh, earlier this past week, they uh, failed to reach an agreement on what, how to uh, resolve the dispute over the, um, the issue of the state uh, not wanting to, uh, to prosecute illegal aliens. Uh, Trump and Cuomo met last Thursday in the White House to discuss um, Homeland Security's announcement that it would no longer permit it would no longer permit New Yorkers to sign up for this thing called the Trusty, Trusted Travelers Program. Why? Well, because we don't know. Homeland Security cannot determine as to whether or not an immigrant is lawfully res- residing in the United States or do a background check if the state of New York does not willingly cooperate. So therefore, you know, if it is endangering people, if it is endangering our nation, why should the United States give blindly permission for people to come into the United States or into a state just to uh, satisfy the political whim of some liberal politician? You're, you're not, you're, you can't do that, my friend. You cannot do that. The state of New York must allow the United States, must allow the, uh, the, the Homeland Security folks to check and verify who the heck is coming into the United States, into the country, and for what purpose. You know, otherwise, we don't know who's coming in, nor do we know why. Attorney General uh, William Barr has, has uh, made it very, very plain. That he made the, the comment at a, um, at a sheriff's conference uh, earlier in the week that uh, they're going to crack down, that the Justice Department is going to crack down on sanctuary cities. And uh, the reason, as well as sanctuary states, the reason being because we are, uh, uh, you know, these places are endangering folks. They are endangering not only local citizens, but the entire country. The ACLU, of course, has come out uh, on behalf of illegal aliens. I mean, I I just, it's incredible what the ACLU does and and pretends to represent. Uh, In New Hampshire, in the state of New Hampshire, in Manchester specifically, uh, the ACLU has come out in defense of uh, some uh, illegal alien that was arrested and detained uh, on felony fentanyl trafficking. Okay? He was detained on felony fentanyl trafficking. However, the ACLU has gone to bat for this guy, 
claiming that uh, it is illegal for the state of New Hampshire to hold him and to call the ICE folks on their detainers. Okay, picture that. Picture that. This guy is 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 trafficking in fentanyl, uh, in, in an illegal drug, and I, and uh, ICE is called to detain him and to begin the process because a he's illegally in the United States and b because he's been involved in a in a felony. But the ACLU comes to his defense. Fix that. I mean, f- fix your mind around that. Finally, we've got this whole situation in the state of Maryland where the state legislature is uh, is trying to uh, is determining as to whether or not uh, they're, they're deciding as to whether or not they are going to um, uh, whether or not they're going to declare the entire state a sanctuary state, whether they are going to forbid forbid the state is going to forbid uh, state and local law enforcement folks to uh, to uh, share information on arrests with uh with ice whether or not uh local law enforcement is going to be permitted to ask you know whether or not the person uh is legally in the united states whether they are they have lawful residence in the united states they're going to be the, the state legislature trying to stop them from doing that now remember my friends that, that the state of baltimore that the state of maryland rather the state of maryland suburban maryland uh the the suburbs of maryland uh in washington dc they have been hit heavily by M6 by M13 by the uh, Salvadoran gang M13 okay and here the state is, is trying to stop them from from uh, from law enforcement from doing their job several of my good friends who are sheriffs uh, have been involved in this uh from Frederick um from Frederick Maryland uh uh, and from Hartford County, Maryland, uh, in Hartford County, Jeffrey Gall- Gall- uh, Galler, who is um, uh, who has been on the show before, uh, from uh, Rockingham, uh, North Carolina, uh, Sheriff, Sheriff Sam Page, he's been on our show before. These guys, my friends, these guys are true Americans. They are trying to protect their community, and here the state is trying to to undermine them. Incredible. All right, folks, so once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM. Please call your friends, uh, tell them to join us, um, share the program, and please, by all means, support us. We are a grassroots-supported program and podcast. That means that we depend, just like PBS, we depend on your your contributions to uh, maintain us and uh, if you want to get further information please contact uh, the station and let us know uh, and and we'll tell you how to uh, how you can support our program so stay tuned we'll be right back george rodriguez el conservador on klup 930 am radio the answer El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, a new guest, uh, a gentleman who I've uh, uh, met recently, uh, who is a uh, fellow podcaster, broadcaster. He's got a show in Baltimore, uh, Mr. Uh, John J. Wiley. And uh, John uh, has a program called Law Enforcement Today. He is a former Baltimore, uh, a retired Baltimore police sergeant. And I wanted to reach out to him because um, uh, not only does he have his pulse on what is happening with law enforcement with our with our folks uh, in in uh, in blue, but 
uh, he also uh, has uh, a lot of knowledge about uh, the street. Uh, John, welcome to the show. And uh, tell us, uh, given what has happened recently, I mean, this past summer we had the situation of, of police officers in New York City being doused with water. Uh, and now uh, this recent situation this past week where they were shot, uh, even in the precinct. Uh, what the heck is going on? What what is your what is your thinking? What is your thoughts about this situation? George, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be with you and your your guests. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think that what is happening is a shock or surprising uh, because it's 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 a mirror of what's happening in our society across the United States. We have people assaulting people. We have people shooting people. We have ever-increasing numbers of violent crime and for the stupidest of reasons. And part of what's going on, I think, was happening with our law enforcement officers. First of all, I find it appalling. Uh, secondly, I think a lot of it is due to media manipulation uh, from our mainstream news media and politicians who are are creating and pushing false narratives to pander to part of their base. I mean, you know, we had this situation, this phoniness, and that's what I would call it. It was a phoniness uh, of the the hands up, don't shoot movement, uh, which was proven that it was, you know, it, it was a false narrative. It was a complete false narrative from Ferguson. Then we had the situation right on the heels of that in uh, in Baltimore, in your own town there where you, uh, you know a, a CVS was burned down and the police were told to stand back stand stand down what the heck what is the thinking in these communities well I mean we're seeing it even here in in Texas where uh, you know everything is being decriminalized uh, I don't understand I mean uh, how can how can the people who are in law enforcement how can they feel that they are being supported for crying out loud City Hall uh, has their back. And th- the big change, George, for, for you and I is back when I was a kid, or even 10 years ago, it would be unheard of for someone to run for public office with an anti-police platform. Uh, everybody was law and order to some degree and wanted to protect the citizens of their community. Now it's become fashionable, not just with uh, the news media, but also politicians and even to some degree Hollywood and that media branch with, you know, I'm anti-cop. Wow. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing uh, the president of the Laredo Police Officers Association in a little while. And the situation we have in Laredo, Texas, which is right on the border, which is, you know, where I was born. Uh, we had recently a uh, an individual that shot at two police officers uh, back in November the guy has uh, posted bail. He is now free and walking the streets again, only to uh, commit another crime. Uh, it, you know, it, it, I'm, 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 I'm flabbergasted. I'm floored, you know, as to how the heck they can justify, how these politicians, how these liberals can justify releasing people who go back and, uh, and commit a crime right again. Well, it, a lot of it falls into this false narrative that we talked about earlier on. You know, the truth is, this stuff was happening in the 80s when I was policing, in the early 90s. Uh, we have a saying in police work that when a cop is killed, politicians love it as a photo opportunity where they know that the, the officer's family will be taken care of financially and they can, they can show up and look like good guys. But when the officers survive, they don't care. They don't talk about it. They don't mention them. And as far as they're concerned, that guy was... Uh, a, a parasite on their community. That's been the reality. And it's not just police, it's firefighters, it's our EMTs, and to a lot of degrees, it's our military. And for this sort of thing to be happening in Texas, which has always been kind of like a bellwether state as far as uh, conservatism and law and order and rule and regulation and, and being pro-police, for that kind of shoot at police and to be released on bond at all should never happen yeah you know we've also it, it also reaches into the border patrol and, and ice because we're seeing this 
this antagonism, this, uh, you know, get abolish ICE movement as well. So, I mean, it, it, it seems to be the, the entire breadth of, of, uh, of law enforcement. Uh, you know, we can't enforce laws because somehow uh, it flies in the face of justice reform and at the same time it's discriminatory. And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I grew up. I grew up in South Texas. I grew up on the south side of San Antonio. I was taught never to be afraid of police officers uh, or the Border Patrol. I mean, I was just, that was just, you know, if I, if I was scared, it was because I did something wrong. That's what I was taught by my family, and I, I don't understand the new narrative. Well, so much of this is based on, and you and I working in radio, we can't do what the television and news and the print news does. I don't want to make them out to be the bad guys, but... Everybody is trying to get eyeballs on their product so that they can make the advertisers happy. And you and I both know that the print news medium, the, the newspapers, have been struggling. So they will put out headlines that are inflammatory in nature to get people to read their product. And knowing full well, they won't even read the story. That the, the truth of the story is at the bottom. And everything that exonerates the officers at the bottom. But the headlines are, cop kills man. And it's always done in a way that makes it sound like the police are the bad guys. That's right. That's that's very very true. The media just really runs with a story and sensationalizes it, and 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 it puts the uh, the officers in in, uh, in in a bad situation. So let me ask let me ask you. I mean, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel, or what needs to happen with this situation to reverse this uh, this trend that we've got of antagonism towards law enforcement? Well, unfortunately, it's not going to change until we as a society say, I've had enough. Um, and what's going to happen, there's a, a, a great saying I had from a guest on the show. Um, he talked about people complaining about police, they're not trained enough, they're too uh, quick on the trigger, whatever it might be. And his response was, and he's an attorney, he said, if you don't like the first string, what do you think is going to happen when you have the second string? Uh, meaning that... Almost every department across the United States has a recruiting problem and retention problem. They can't keep the well-trained, well-experienced officers. They leave. And the people that couldn't pass the background before are now being hired because they have to fill the allotment. So you have someone there to come when you call 911. And if you don't think what we have today is good, wait till you see these, these men and women when they show up. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, they're going to have to we're going to have departments scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, that's that simple. And I hate to say that it's not. I love my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, and uh, no one is harder on police than other police. Yes, that's right. And we can't stand when someone's corrupt. We can't stand when someone doesn't want to learn or uh, creates problems for everybody. And it's unfair and unjust. No one wants that man or woman around because it makes our lives miserable. But by the same token, where our society doesn't turn around and say, look, we deserve the best. In America, when we call for 911, we want the best possible people showing up for our home. If we don't support the people we have, you're not going to have that luxury. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I remember I worked in a division uh, in the Reagan administration um, before I went over to immigration, I was working in a division called uh, Community Relations. And that division, all it did was was uh, work in the community relations between police and, uh, and the community, you know, the civil rights issues, so to speak. And I saw increasingly a trend to be more and more antagonistic towards the police, to assume that the police had done something wrong. Uh, in, in that division, uh, particularly among the career employees. And I think that uh, at this point, it's an automatic reflex that if something happens, you know, the uh, the news media and the community, I mean, you just, well, what did the police officer do wrong? And, and you know, uh, 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 unless you've walked in the shoes of a police officer on a Saturday night to break up a family squabble, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Absolutely. And, and the advent of all these body cameras and dash cam videos, they have proven like 99.9% of the time that the officer was right and the complaints were not justified or they are flat out lies. And yet people still won't believe that evidence was presented to them. That's right. That's right. Any closing thoughts that you have before we go? Uh, you know, I'm glad I survived. Uh, I personally went through four shootings in 12 years. The, the first two, I never fired a shot back. The second two, 
uh, were horrible affairs, and thankfully everybody survived. Uh, but every man and woman out there is doing the best they can, and that's really all we can expect. You made a great point. Never to fear the police unless you're a criminal. Uh, that's the way it should be. But if you are a criminal and you want to harm or assault or, or attack them, you should be very much afraid. And that should be understood and accepted by everybody. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much, Jay, for being with us today. We've been speaking with Mr. John J. Wiley from uh, from Baltimore. With uh, He is a broadcaster, podcaster, uh, has a show, Law Enforcement Today. Uh, can people access your, your, your program, uh, Jay? Yeah, you can get it as a podcast at lawenforcementtoday.com. It's the easiest way. Right now it's on 30 stations across the United States, mostly on weekends. And if it's not on a station near you, check it out as a podcast. That way you can catch every episode. You got it, buddy. Thank you very much for being with us. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Alrighty, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And uh, we've got uh, a very special guest with us. We've got Mr. Tom Homan, former uh, ICE director. And uh, Tom has really, really risen in the ranks uh, lately. On He's been on Fox and uh, other places, and I, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Tom, welcome to the show. Tell us about, uh, I mean, we're seeing that the President Trump uh, is trying to uh, put some uh, sanctions on sanctuary cities some, and trying to act, particularly uh, in the case of New York City. Um, tell us tell us uh, about sanctuary cities and how they are endangering folks and, and what you think uh, needs to happen. Well, sanctuary cities, I've been saying two years, I mean, sanctuary cities, they provide sanctuary for criminals, criminal illegal aliens. They don't provide sanctuary for U.S. citizen victims. They don't provide sanctuary for immigrant communities. They only provide sanctions for those who have violated the law, got locked up in a county jail, and they get released into the community rather than working with ICE. So that's what a sanctuary city is. They don't work with ICE. They don't let ICE in a jail. And the you know, politicians say, well, sanctuary cities you know, protect the immigrant community. And it's just simply wrong. It's false. It's a false narrative because... When you knowingly release an illegal alien criminal back into the community, he's going to reoffend in the very community in which he lives, the immigrant community. The data clearly shows that. And if anybody can look up recidivism rates, and, you know, 50% will reoffend first year, and up to 75% will reoffend within five years. So when you release a criminal alien back in the community, you don't, really, you don't protect the immigrant community. You put them at greater risk of crime. You put them at greater risk of ICE arrest because ICE needs to go find that guy now. So, so since they can't get the bad guy to jail, they're going to go to the community and find him. And when they find him, he's probably going to be with others, others that weren't even on ICE radar. So I don't know how the sanctuary city protects immigrant communities. It puts them at greater risk of ICE arrest. It put them at greater risk of crime. And I've said this many times. If any politician would go to sanctuary, go to immigrant community and ask him, would you rather have ICE in your neighborhood or ICE in your jail? They're going to say to jail. You know, because, you know, it's, you no, know, even the immigrant community, look, even if they're illegal, okay, they violate law into this country, get it, however, if you look at, after they get here, most of them are law-abiding, and try to support the families, they don't want criminals in their neighborhoods, they don't want child predators in their neighborhoods, they don't want someone convicted to DUI in their neighborhoods, so the president gets it, and, and I hope most American people get it, that sanctuary cities is a danger to the community. We've seen uh, situations like in, in New York where they uh, released uh, a uh, person that was detained um, and uh, without notifying ICE and the individual goes out and commits another crime. Um, you know, we've just seen that just, repeatedly. Just recently, you know, they put a detainer on in New York City. He got released. They didn't, they didn't call ICE. And he raped and killed a nine-year-old woman. And let me give you a clear example of how sanctuary cities do not protect American communities. Montgomery County, Maryland. Within a two-month period, they had nine rapes. Wow. And eight, eight of those victims were immigrants. So you had, you, had, you know, nine little girls whose lives will never be the same again. 
because that county chose to release a known criminal back into the community rather than call them ICE. And, and, and the thing is, people say, well, they don't want to be immigration officers. They don't have to be immigration officers. All we want them to do is call us before they release them, and we'll take custody of them. They don't have to hold them five minutes more than they would normally hold them. Just let us know he's being released, and we'll be there. Because when they run fingerprints on somebody who's getting booked in their jail, those fingerprints at NCIC, the Bureau, they automatically bounce against the DHS database. So we know if we've arrested this man before, he, we know he's in that jail. We know he's illegally in the United States. He's probably been removed, deported before. So just simply call us and let us be there when you release him so we can take one criminal element, not, out, not only out of your neighborhood, but out of the country. Yeah, we, we, uh, I was reading this morning where um, the state of Maryland is debating uh, sanctuary policies for the entire state. And uh, some local sheriffs uh, in uh, Maryland have opposed it. And, uh, you know, when we've, got, when we've got an entire state trying to become a, a sanctuary state like California has, uh, you know, it, it, it makes it extremely difficult for ICE to, uh, to protect uh, the citizenry, let alone to, uh, to do its job. And the majority, a vast majority, overwhelming majority of sheriffs don't support state city policies. Like California, when they, when they pass that state law, SB 54, the California state law, the California Sheriff's Association came out hard against it with, with at the then, at the, the, the then governor, Governor Brown, who helped, you know, come with this bill. They come out hard against it. There's like, I don't know, it's like 49 sheriffs in the state of California, and, and all of them came out against it except for two, and those two were, of course, you know, the sheriff of L.A. who, you know, who, who wants open borders himself. But this is, you know, vast majority of sheriffs against it. But, you know, this place like California, their hands are tied. And sheriffs, they're seeing, you know, incidents of them releasing some of the reoffend and kill and rape. And, and the sheriffs in California are coming out hard, you know, saying, no, enough's enough. Sheriffs in California, uh, New York are doing the same thing. So the sheriffs are beginning to speak up and say, look, you've tied our hands. It's a public safety threat. We can't operate like this. And, you know, New York, you know, if Mass, you know, if Maryland wants to go ahead and take on sanctuary state status and get ready for a fight, because the Attorney General has made it clear this week, they're going to start going out, going after him hard. You know, they sue this administration every day. So now this administration is going to stop their own lawsuits. I, I think it's, it's common sense to most Americans. I think it'll be common sense to the Supreme Court, because they'll end up there, is that, you know, you can't. Federal law supersedes state and local law. This is a supremacy clause in, in, in the Constitution. You can't create a state law that interferes with federal law. It's, it's just, it's just it, on, its, on, on its basics, it's just wrong. Yep. And, and then we've got uh, the situation like in Oregon where uh, the uh, the city, the, a couple of the cities are not allowing the airports to be used by ICE to transport uh, illegal aliens out of there. Uh, in, incredible how, how they are resisting and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, 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 these are ICE flights that take, you know, these people have been order removed by a federal judge. Uh, we certainly can't drive them down to El Salvador. So we find that, you know, countries around the world, we, we, you know, we moved people to over 140 different countries last year. So air operations are very important. Here's another airport that, that doesn't have any problem holding their hand out every year to get federal funding to run that airport. Then they tell the you know the feds to go pound sand when, when they and they're simply trying to enforce law. So rather than this airport commission or these sanctuary city politicians going up on Capitol Hill and telling Congress, okay, we don't like what ICE does, we don't like these detainers, then go to your congressman and senator and tell them to change the law. But rather than do that, they find it much easier to stand on their little soapbox and and, and enter into political warfare to the men and women who are simply doing their job. The men and women from Borbitra that are simply performing their duties as, as established by Congress. It's like during the State of the Union address when the chief patrol agent stood up and the Dems didn't applaud and didn't give him any recognition. Here's the man who spent 30 years, he's a friend of mine, right? Oh, geez, he spent 30 years on that border wearing a gun and badge and a, and a bulletproof vest, putting his life on line for this country. And he's simply doing what everybody in that room told him to do because they enacted these laws. And they couldn't show him the respect or standing up and recognizing him for serving his country for three decades. It's, a, it's ridiculous. It's the, it's the, 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 the Democratic Party, most of them, not all of them, most of them are out of control. And, and I think President Trump is, is fed up. I think the Attorney General is fed up. And they're going to fight this. They're going to fight this tooth and nail, and I hope they do. Uh, 
So do you think that, uh, you know, the um, the president's actions to um, limit funding and, and uh, whatever else they can do for these sanctuary communities, uh, for these jurisdictions, do you think that that, that uh, may have uh, an impact? And, or do we need uh, to do a lot more of that? Well, yeah, first of all, it's a great start. They need to do more. But I think it's already making an impact. Look, the governor of New York announced today that he's, he's meeting with the administration to talk about what he can do to get back in the tra- uh, Trusted Traveler program because they kicked New York out of it since they you know, shut off you know, access to the DMV database. So even the governor now is coming to the gym and says, okay, what do I got to do? Now, I don't know. I haven't got an agreement yet, but he's coming hand in hand. But it's, it's, it, and, and, of course, Governor Gomefart is just a political move. It's not a political move. If it was a political move, the Trump administration will say, okay, New York, you no longer have access to NCIC databases, which the Fed don't, the Fed Bureau owns. You can't go see if there's wants or warrants. You can't look at someone's fingerprints. We, you can't send your fingerprints in. We won't give you criminal history. We won't tell you who's wanted. But, of course, the administration will never do that because they actually are concerned with the health and safety of the men and women in law enforcement. Unlike uh, Governor Cuomo, who says, no, we won't, we're not giving ICE access to the MV database, which makes our job much more dangerous. I mean, when we go and get a picture, a picture of somebody, we're going to arrest because we're going to either serve a warrant or go look for this guy. Generally, law enforcement get pictures out of the DMV database. We can't get pictures. We can't get information on prior DUI arrests or misdemeanor family traffic offenses, which makes somebody removable. Governor Cuomo don't care. He threw these law enforcement officers, uh, ICE and CBP, under the bus. But this administration never do it. So it's not a political game. Let this president, this administration, it's clear that if we don't have access to the DMV database because part of the Trust or Traveler program says... If you're going to be in this program, you can't have a prior convictions for DUI. You can't have, you know, significant traffic offenses that, that rise to the level of misdemeanor felonies. There's only one word you can find that. You can't find that in NCIC. You can only find that in databases. So they're making that rule, so we're not going to share it with you. Now they can't be vetted, which means you're on the program. So I think it's a great start, and I think you're going to see a lot more of this administration doing here in the next few months. Uh, I, re- I really hope so. Tom, thank you for taking time to be with us uh, this this afternoon. Uh, we, uh, you know, I, I, I really, really appreciate uh, all the efforts that you do. We've had, this is uh, we've been talking with Mr. Tom Holman, former president, former uh, uh, director of ICE, and uh, thank you once again for being with us, Tom. And thank you for doing what you're doing, George. You're doing good work. You got to educate the American people. And I can't do it on my own, so thanks for the team. You got it, buddy. Thank you. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, a guest with us, uh, Mr. Officer Rogelio uh, Nevarez, who is president of the Laredo Police Officers Association. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because uh, we are doing these stories about law enforcement officers, the sacrifices that they make and... uh, uh, the danger that they put themselves in. And here in our own backyard in South Texas, in Laredo, we've got uh, the unfortunate situation. I'm going to ask uh, Officer Nevarez to please explain to us what's going on. Um, uh, an unfortunate situation where a person a uh, uh, who shot at police officers has gotten bailed and is out uh, on the streets again. And... Um, you know, this is happening all over the place, my friends. It's not just New York City where police officers are getting shot at and doused with water. It's happening all over the place. 
And uh, as we have uh, chatted with other folks on our show before, uh, this is a serious situation for the safety of citizens and for the safety of the police officers themselves, of law enforcement. So, Officer Nevarez, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, tell us what is happening in my hometown of Laredo. What has happened? Tell us about the situation. Yes, sir. First off, thank you for, for reaching out and, and actually uh, shedding some light on the situation. Um, so, in, in this current one, we have uh, this this uh, suspect just got released on a $275,000 bond. Um, so, whatever percentage he paid, he, he's out on bond now and out roaming the streets. And obviously, um, shooting at officers, nothing, everything, nothing that uh, we would appreciate or, or, or think that we're going to be dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And um, on this particular situation, that suspect, from what I believe and what I what I understand, uh, his intent was to go and murder uh, a girlfriend of his. And um, once officers arrived to to the scene, he just opened fire on officers. He, he opened fire with a uh, rifle, hitting actually one of our officers in the leg, who's still in recovery. So our officer that's still recovering um, is still, I mean, still injured, using uh, whatever support he, he needs. I think he's using the cane currently. And this guy is, is able to go out free and do whatever he wants because he's still going to be out in the street. He's enjoying his freedom. Um, it's not against, we're not against having anybody have uh, any bond or, or anything like that, but when you have a suspect that's charged with all of these uh, aggravated felonies, these capital uh, felonies, and get such a low bond number, it makes it so easily attainable for somebody to go and raise that funds so you can get them out. And his intent was already shown by his actions that day, um, what he's capable of doing. So now... Our officers, yes, I mean, we face dangers day in, day out, and that's something that we signed up for. If we have to use our weapon as a line of duty, it's never something that we come up, uh, wake up and say, you know what, this is the day that we're going to do it. No, it's something that somebody puts you in an ultimatum, and you have to make a decision to make sure you protect your life along with the citizens of Rueda. So um, having this situation, we need to make sure that we put as much spotlight as possible uh, to all the powers that be that were involved in, in, in uh, making this decision so they can understand what stance we're taking. It, it's not right that you're putting someone of that caliber back out in the streets um, knowing what he's already capable of doing and, and where maybe there's a possibility where he can do some, some other harm. Obviously, he doesn't have any regard to life. So that's where our concern's at uh, uh, for our officers and especially for the citizens because he has no regard for life. You know, the, you raise a very, very important uh, issue. Uh, the individual that shot the police officers in New York had a long record uh, of violence. And, um, you know, the person was released uh, on bond, has been uh, had been bonded out. We seem to have a situation across the country where uh, people are where where politicians are decriminalizing crime and making it easier for people to get off uh, and go back into the street uh, but, um, you know, they go back into the street and either because they are mentally unstable or because they're just hardcore criminals and they don't care, uh, they go back and, uh, and, and terrorize and, and endanger the, the community. Uh, do you guys see this uh, re- with repeat offenders very much? Well, at this, at this magnitude of something like this where you have charged with three uh, attempted capital murders, it's rare that we would see these type of crimes here in Laredo. I mean... Uh, Laredo's a big city, but small enough so that we can know uh, everybody around here, and this is not uh, a common occurrence. But if you see all these other uh, lesser crimes, it happens often. You have people that have been arrested 20, 30, 40, 50 times, and they keep on getting released, keep on getting released. And I understand the due process and make sure they have an opportunity um, to go through the court system. But once you release somebody and that person does the same offense again within a few days, and then you release them again, there has to be some sort of system in place to have a safeguard for that. Um, I mean, these criminals are, are a danger to, to the society and a danger to officers. Justin Laredo alone, this is our third officer-involved shooting in the, in, in the last year. So how fair is it that we're putting these people that, have, that, have that, 
total disregard for, for authority and for law enforcement and, and for the, the public to go out again and do what they want to do. It's, it's, it's frustrating as, as a police officer. It's, it's frustrating uh, being the voice for LPOA. It, it's, it's disheartening that this would happen. Uh, we would hope that, that there would be some more consideration um, for the magnitude of, of what this guy is capable of doing. Um, and it's just very, very sad, and that's the, the sentiment that we have across uh, the department where it's upsetting. It's upsetting that this is not uh, something that is not normal no more. This, this happens where uh, violent offenders, they get a low bond amount, what we, what we believe is a low bond amount, and they get that money, they get out, and they're, they're out there doing their business all over again. Now, you know, you're, you're mentioning something very important. The impact on the morale of uh, of officers, uh, as it is in many communities, there there is a very diff- they're having difficulty in recruiting uh, officers, uh, and the morale is uh, is uh, being affected. Is that happening there with uh, with uh, Laredo police officers now? I think we get that that feeling based on what we see outside. Because you being from Laredo, we're in our own little bubble over here. There's really not much uh, for a good distance away. We have to drive maybe an hour to, to go to another city. And uh, in our little bubble, we've never had these problems. We've seen it on the news. We've seen uh, what happens in California, in, in, in New York, even in San Antonio. All these things happen. And now it, it hit us, and it's hitting us uh, bad. Where um, in the last three years, I think we've had 10 officer-involved shootings, where prior to that, it, it was... Re- very rare, very, very rare that we would have a situation where one of our officers is going to have to um, use his weapon in the line of duty. And now it's a common occurrence. It's a common occurrence, and, and I guess the big city actually is uh, here in Laredo now where this is something that's happening. And, and we're, we're thankful, and, and, and thank God that we uh, have not had um, anything worse happen to our officers but when this is happening and you allow something like this to happen, it's kind of putting the odds against us where you have somebody that's already determined to, to do uh, the evil that they're planning on doing. That person's out there. And we have no idea who he is. Once we pull over a car, how are we supposed to know that that's that person or it's not? Um, it, it, it's, it's very, very upsetting that you put somebody like that back out in the street and we have no idea where that person's at. That's totally uh, irresponsible in, in putting the lives of our officers at risk. Because who knows, who knows who's going to pull them over, whether it's one of our, our officers, a deputy, or, or somebody else. We have no idea what this, what this guy's uh, mindset is at. But if somebody's getting charged with those type of crimes, I mean, who knows what, what's going through their mind. Yeah, I mean, once they've committed a crime at that level... Uh, committing it a second time is not going to be very, very difficult. Um, I, I really, really want to uh, thank uh, the Laredo Police Officers Association for being uh, uh, for speaking out on behalf of the police officers because in today's world, quite often the police officers are left behind, and uh, you know even the media uh, sometimes takes uh, takes the the approach that uh, obviously was because the police did something wrong. So I really, really want to take my hat off and thank you guys. And uh, thank your organization. Uh, any last uh, comments that you'd like to add to us and, and leave with us, um, uh, Officer Navarez? Uh, yes, sir. Um, one, I appreciate you reaching out and, and giving us opportunity to, to uh, shine some light on this topic over here. Um, and then I do want to make sure that your listeners understand that every officer that I've ever met across the country, nobody comes to work with a mindset that they're trying to, to uh, be put in a scenario where either that officer or the suspect does not go home that day. That's not what we signed up for. That's what we are unfortunately are um, faced with, and now more than ever on a daily basis across the country. But it's not an intent that we signed up and, you know what, we're going to go out and, and um, have to be put in this situation. We understand it's a risk of the job, and, and we totally are fine with it. But when sometimes the media or social media, now that it's very, very uh, out there, 
um, I start attacking right away, start attacking, start attacking. Then you know what? The officer did this, the officer did that. Everybody's going to have an opportunity to Monday night quarterback our decisions. But once one of our officers is facing the other uh, side of a barrel of a gun, that officer has a responsibility for his family to go back to his house at the end of the shift. He has no other choice but to defend himself. He has no other option um, than to make sure that he survives. And that's something that, unfortunately, again, across the state, it happens more and more and more. And wherever this uh, animosity towards officers or total disregard for authority comes from, that is not the answer. That's not the answer for the criminal side. All we all we ask is just treat us with the same respect that we treat you with, and we should be able to handle a lot of these situations a lot better. But unfortunately, we do have this situation where people are, are just set in their ways. They're going to do what they want. And however that came about and, and made that transformation into um, today's times, there has to be some sort of way to make sure that we can get that fixed. But Again, I just want to reiterate that our officers, and on top of that, every officer that I've ever met with, uh, is not a goal of ours to have to use our, our, our service weapons. It's something that uh, we never look forward to, but at the moment that we have to. I just hope that every officer uh, has um, the training, the quick reaction to make sure that they come back home. Because if somebody's going to point a gun at an officer... I would 100% hope that that officer has the upper hand and can react accordingly to make sure that that person goes back home and not uh, the suspect gives us an ultimatum. I want the officer to win 100% of the time. The suspect makes us choose. It's, it's not our choice. Thank you very, very much, uh, Officer Navarez. We've been talking with uh, Officer Rogelio Navarez, uh, Navarez, who is the president of the uh, Laredo Police Officers Association. Thank you very much. And we're going to get you back on sometime again soon so we can talk some more about uh, police officer community relations uh, uh, in, in your community. Thank you very, very much. Anytime. Yes, sir. Thank you.